Good morning, greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be gathered together in the Lord's house again this morning. I as well wanted to just simply say a brief thank you for your prayers, words of encouragement, etc. this past week. It has been appreciated. For the message this morning, I invite you to turn again to 1 Peter. Three weeks ago, we looked at 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 9. And if you're like me, it's easy to uh, have a good forgetter. And I thought I'd just very, very briefly recap a little bit from those verses. Those verses spoke of the living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the incorruptible uh, inheritance, an inheritance that can't be changed or diminished or damaged in any way that's prepared and kept for us and we for it for that time when Christ will appear and our salvation will be complete. So now I'd like to look at a number of the following verses. <clears throat> First of all, I was, I was hoping that Sunday to cover through verse 12 and just didn't have the time. So I'd like to read verses 10 through 12 at this time, and we'll look at them, and then we'll look at a few more verses. So 1 Peter 1, verse 10 through 12. Of which salvation, now this is, this is speaking of the salvation that he had previously described in the uh, preceding verses, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you, but them that have preached the gospel unto you, which the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. <clears throat> These verses continue, like I said, on that theme of the salvation that, that Peter was describing. But he takes a little different turn and he speaks about the prophets who had prophesied the coming of the Messiah, the coming of this age of grace. And we see that these men were given prophecies of this future grace that was going to be made available. And it says that they searched diligently to understand when and how these things were going to take place. And I want us to notice a couple of things about that. First of all, it says that these prophecies were given to them by or through the Spirit of Christ. Peter says in 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21, that the prophets, or the, the prophecies from the Old Testament scriptures 
did not come through anybody's, any prophet's private interpretation. But they came as the Spirit moved these men. So we see that God's hand was at work. These things were not made up things. They were revealed to these prophets by God to reveal what he was going to pour out on mankind in that age of grace. And we see today, looking back, how these prophecies were fulfilled. I'm amazed again and again as I read through the Old Testament how many prophecies, very direct prophecies there are of Jesus Christ. And how literally so many of them were fulfilled. And you know, we read the scripture and we wonder how the people in Jesus' time didn't recognize and didn't identify the fact that these different happenings were clearly fulfilling prophecy that had been given years before. But we look back and we have that blessing of seeing how God, God worked through his prophets. He moved them to prophesy of the age that was to come. And then we look back and see how God was faithful in fulfilling those, those prophecies. And I believe that that should give us a, a great respect for scripture and for, for prophecies of scripture. Because God has proven himself faithful from the earliest of times, as we look back, we see again and again how God, even within the, the nation of Israel, uh, you know, the things we're looking at in our Sunday school lessons about the fall of Jerusalem, those things were prophesied sometimes not too long before that they came to pass. The coming of Christ was prophesied and it came to pass, his suffering, etc., so it should give us a high regard for the prophecies in Scripture that God has given us. That what He has given us through His prophets will come to pass. And keep that in mind as you read Scripture and you read prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled or have not been completely fulfilled. God has proven Himself faithful and He will continue to prove Himself faithful in the future. We also see here in verse 10 that these prophets, it says, spoke of the grace that was coming. And then in verse 11, of the glory that would follow Christ's suffering and death. And I believe that these prophets had a vision for something that God was going to pour out on mankind that was so much greater than what they knew through the law of Moses. It was something that they caught a glimpse of, and they longed for, but yet they didn't fully understand. And I find it interesting that these prophets, it says, had an understanding of these things through the Spirit. Yet, when they were fulfilled in Jesus' time, the spiritual leaders of that time were, for the most part, blind to the fact that they were being fulfilled. And I see in that a lesson for us, we live in, in, I think we'd all agree, we live in the end times. We're close to the end of the age. There's a lot of prophecy that 
has not yet been fulfilled. Are we alert? Are we going to see as that prophecy is fulfilled? As the things that Scripture warns about come to pass? Do we have an understanding? Are we like these prophets of old that says that they searched diligently into these things? They wanted to gain insight. They wanted to know more. They wanted a clearer understanding of, of God's working. And I ask, am I and are you doing that today? And I recognize that uh, then times there's a lot of things we just can't completely wrap our minds around. But yet I think it behooves us to know and, and understand to the best of our abilities the scriptures and the, and, and the prophecies that God has given us. We also see in verse 12 that it was revealed to them that they were not ministering or serving themselves in their generation with their prophecies, but they were, they were serving a future generation. And I just say thank God for their faithfulness. And I was challenged in that because are we willing to do work today that will bear fruit in the future? Maybe not in our lifetime. You know, we, we like instant gratification. We like to do things and see the results. These men prophesied and didn't see the results, so to speak. Most of these prophets prophesied to, to people who refused to listen. They refused to heed the warnings that God was giving. And we would look at them and say that they had a really a thankless task. Yet God used these men, as they were faithful, to record a message for the future generations. A message of what was coming. And that message is, those prophecies that have been fulfilled, we don't need them anymore to look ahead, but we use them to look back. And it builds our faith. It helps us to see God's hand at work in the affairs of mankind throughout the ages. And we should be thankful for that as we see how God worked to bring salvation and grace that we have today. And it should also, as I said earlier, impress upon us God's faithfulness in doing what He says in Scripture. I'd like to move on now and look at verses 13 through 16. Read them at this time. Wherefore, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the re revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashion, fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So this, these verses here, this paragraph begins with the word wherefore. And always remember, 
in Scripture that when you have a wherefore or a therefore, it's referring back. It's connecting the, what is getting ready to be said with the previous passage. So you could say that because of, he's speaking of that salvation and the grace that God was, had revealed. And he's saying that because of that, that we should gird up the loins of our mind. Well, that term, gird up the loins of your mind, refers back to the Bible times where the men wore robes. And when they wanted to run somewhere or get something done, work hard, they would take those robes and pull them up and tuck them into their belt to shorten them. And an example of that is uh, the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel. When Ahab went down from Mount Carmel, it says that Elijah gird up his loins and ran ahead of, of King Ahab. And so it's the idea of being prepared for action, ready to work, ready to get something done. Now, think of that in terms of the previous chapter, previous portion of this chapter, where it speaks of the salvation and the blessings that we have. And what I see here is that the salvation, the the grace and salvation and blessings from, through Christ that have been poured out upon us, call us to action. There's a response that is needed when we accept God's gift of salvation and grace. We don't receive salvation and then go forth doing nothing. No, salvation and the grace of God call us to action. So I want to challenge you that what follows here is the action that we are called to take as we take up that gift of salvation that's been given to us. First, it says we're to be sober. The original meaning of that word in the Greek was that of abstaining from alcohol. But in a larger sense, it means to be self-controlled. I have, I use Power Bible, and you can do a, a comparison between a whole lot of versions, and I, some of these verses, I like to do that. And I really liked how one of the more modern versions put this verse. It says, Instead of, of be sober, it says, concentrate your minds with strictest self-control. In other words, we're to be focused. Focused on what is important. We talked about that in Sunday school a little bit. You know, what's, what's important in life? Are material blessings a, an indication of, of spiritual prosperity? You know, no, it's, it's the spiritual come, needs to come first. So we need to be focused and concentrated on the serious, the spiritual. We shouldn't have a frivolous mindset, but, but focused on the things of God. 
Things, spiritual things, not things of the world. Not things of pleasure and entertainment, but things of the Lord. It says we're also to hope to the end for the grace that will be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago when we looked at the previous verses, we looked at, talked about the fact that we are saved. We were saved when we accepted the Lord. We are being saved today. But there will come a time when we will be saved completely when Christ has conquered Satan for eternity. And that's that ultimate salvation that I think he's saying here to hope to the end for the grace that will be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I believe here that we're being admonished to that part of our call to action is to continue in that hope. And remember that hope isn't something that might happen. It's something that we have a full expectation that it will happen. And that harkens back to the lesson we can learn from fulfilled prophecy. That what God has promised will come to pass. We live in a world full of hurt, difficulty, uncertainty, etc. But we need to look past those things. We need to look past those things and not give up the fight. You know, sometimes we can face things that make us just say it's not worth it. But we need to persevere because we know that the day is coming when the Lord will be revealed. And at that point, all the difficulties of this life will pale in comparison with the reward that Christ will give. So we need to hope to the end. <clears throat> then in verses 14 through 16, he gives us a call to holiness. Another thing that we need to take action on as we serve the Lord. And he begins this call to holiness by calling us to be like obedient children. And I just thought it was just so amazing what Benjamin had us read this morning from Ephesians. In verse 2 of Ephesians 2, it says, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And down in verse 3, it talks about how that, well, I'll just go ahead and read verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation, our, our lifestyle in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. What a contrast to the description here of obedient children. We all know the difference, especially us that have been parents. We all know the difference between obedient children and disobedient children. 
And even if you've never been a parent, you still know the difference between obedient children and disobedient children. And what a joy as a parent, a pleasure it is when our children act in obedience and respect. They do what we ask them to, hopefully cheerfully. It's, it's, it's a pleasure. That's what God wants from us as his children. He wants us to willingly obey him, willingly follow his commands. And the command here is for a life of holiness, a life of leaving behind our sinful past. He says here that we are not to fashion ourselves or conform ourselves according to the lusts or desires that we had before we knew Christ. Again, a modern translation, and I think this is the same one I read from earlier. This verse, it says, Be like obedient children. Do not let your lives be shaped by the passions which once swayed you in the days of your ignorance. So don't let your lives be shaped by those things. And you know, our lusts, our desires, our passions, those sinful tendencies, that's what they'll do to us if we allow them. They will shape us. They will mold us into something that is not holy. As God's children, we are to be shaped by Him, not by the things of the world, not by the lusts of the flesh. We should take that very seriously because what we allow in our lives will shape us. What we allow in our minds will shape us. You know, Jesus said that of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we know that what we allow in our mind, what we fill our minds with, what we allow our eyes to see, has a shaping effect. And I ask myself and you as well, is what you are allowing in your mind shaping you towards the world's mold or towards a holy and godly character that reflects this call to holiness. You know, that's why we as church leaders have concerns about influences of things like the world's music and the world's entertainment and who you might follow on social media and what podcasts you might listen to and what blogs you might follow, etc. Because these things are influential in our lives. They shape us. They mold us. They change our way of thinking. They can direct us away from being molded into the image of a holy God. Peter says that we previously allowed these things in our lives because we were ignorant. We didn't understand the way of God. We were ignorant that there was a better way. We were ignorant of the blessing of 
submitting to God in his holiness. We see that idea in other passages in the New Testament as well, that spiritually we're ignorant until we come to the point of surrender. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That, that verse is saying that the natural man, the man without Christ, without the Spirit, can't make sense of the, the things of God. But it's once we surrender and open ourselves to God and to His Spirit that the light comes on. We realize the blessing. You know, the world looks at, at the Christian life and says, how restrictive. The Christian looks at the, world, the worldling's life and says, what a waste. It's because we have transformed our thinking by coming to the Lord. Also, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross to those that don't understand it is foolishness. But the preaching of the cross is salvation from sin. Salvation from bondage. It's also the preaching of the cross is crucifixion to self. The worldling doesn't understand. But once you come to surrender, you realize that the concept of crucifying the flesh didn't make sense. But once you experience it, you realize the freedom from the bondage to self and the bondage to Satan. As we, uh, let me back up, our flesh tells us that the things that make our flesh happy are what's important. But as we come to the Lord and we surrender to Him, and accept His holiness into our lives, we find that God's way of holiness frees us from that bondage that we never realized that we were under. In verse 15, we see that our standard of holiness is God Himself. God is our example of holiness for us to follow. I was struck by a thought in Adam Clark's commentary regarding this verse. And I'm going to read it, and I've, it's maybe not the easiest language to follow, but I beg of you to pay attention and try to follow this. Heathenism scarcely produced a God whose example was not the most abominable. Their greatest gods, and speaking of the heathen, their greatest gods especially were paragons of impurity, 
None of their philosophers could pr propose the objects of their adoration as objects of imitation. What he's saying there is that the heathen people produced gods whose example was, was abominable, was detestable. Think about that in contrast with our God, who is an example of holiness for us to live, to, to strive to attain to. Think about the, the heathen gods that we know of from, from Bible times. These heathen gods were beings that, for the most part, the, the ones that I know about, you know, Baal and Ashtaroth, were some of the main gods back in the, uh, the, the, uh, of the, in the era of the children of Israel going into Canaan and uh, interacting with the Philistines. These gods were beings that sanctioned some of the most immoral of conduct. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, that is what happens when man creates his own God. When we create our own God, we create a God who is okay with our most base instincts in nature. And our ignorance, without, without the Lord, we don't realize that these things are simply bondage, things that drag us down and make us hopeless and separate us from our holy creator. And you know, that's the tendency as well for us when we try to define the God of heaven in our own terms. Human nature wants to define God as being, as a God that loves in spite of our unholiness. A God that loves in spite of sin. A God who, because of his love, will overlook our sin. A God that will take everyone to heaven no matter the life they've lived, no matter if they've made a commitment to the Lord or not. And I tell you, that is not the God of the Holy Scriptures. But that is our tendency as mankind. We tend to, to okay the things that our base nature desires. And I just I say this to, to help to make a contrast between the, our tendency as human beings and what God is calling us to, the God that we serve. That's not the, God that, the type of God that Peter was talking about here. He is talking about a God that is ultimately holy without sin, cannot tolerate sin. And he's to be our standard. Of holiness. He says here that because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And that's that's a command that was given different times in the law of Moses. And one is Leviticus eleven forty four. He says, For I am the Lord your God, ye shall there therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. And I believe that this 
brings us into the two kingdom concept. We need to have our minds fixed that there's two kingdoms and we're a part of one and are also part of the other. We're a part of God's holy kingdom, striving after his holiness and his likeness, or we're following Satan and his kingdom and the ways of the world. We can't have it both ways. It's a narrow path of holiness. And if we're going to live in God's kingdom, we have to abide by his standard of holiness, not the standards of the world around us. Several things that stood out to me on thinking of the command to be holy as God is holy. First, to uphold that or to strive for that, we have to know God. We have to know him and we have to understand him and his His holiness and his desire for holiness. And we've talked earlier about the, the uh, Old Testament prophets. And I have been impressed again and again reading through the prophets as they prophesied to a sinful Israel. The heart of God comes out. God's distaste for sin comes out. God's distaste for them mingling with the, the world, with the peoples around them, comes out. Especially, I've seen that in, 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 in the minor prophets, not just there. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, it's there as well. But I challenge you. I used to not enjoy reading the, some of those books of prophecy. And I've gotten to where I see so much of the character of God in those books. Read those books of the Bible and look for the character of God and what He desires for His people. It will help us to understand the level of holiness that God desires for us today. Another thing that stands out to me is the impossibility of attaining to the holiness of God, especially on our own. There's a vast gulf, an, un an unfathomable gulf, between the sinfulness of mankind and the holiness of God, a gulf that we cannot cross on our own. And none of us are going to attain to a level of perfection of God's holiness in this life. But it's a standard we're called to, and we're on a journey, we're on an upward journey to be more like Him, more like our Savior. And we don't do it on our own strength. We do it through the power of the Lord Jesus and through His enabling Spirit. We do it through crucifying ourselves daily. We need to say no to the things that face us that are not holy, that are not of God. It made me think of 
Titus 2, 11 and 12. I really like these verses. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Where we're at, where we're called to, we're, we're to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly. It's a high calling, but it's one that we must pursue through the aid of the Spirit in our lives. So in conclusion, we today are blessed to live during the time of grace. The time of grace that the prophets have long ago foretold. When we can know these blessings from God that he's poured out on everyone who will but surrender their life to him. We're recipients of what those prophets prophesied about. We're recipients of what they longed for, something better than what they had. We have a knowledge of the blessing of living a holy, godly life, of saying no to ungodliness. My challenge is let's pursue it daily. May God bless you. We have a song.